Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. As always, I'm your host Shazaru and I'm joined by an incredible, incredible guest today. You may have seen from the title, but I'm joined by the lovely Kimberly Warford. Kim is definitely a bit of a household name in powerlifting and she's been involved for just over 20 years, which is a crazy amount of time to be involved in one sport. During that time, she's won seven world championships, which is obviously so impressive. Um, And I actually got to meet her in 2016 and she was just such a kind and humble person. And it truly made me look up to her even more, which is why in 2018 and the start of 2019, a lot of her fans and the people that look up to her were super disappointed to see some political drama unfold. That meant that she wasn't actually going to be joining the 72 kilo class uh, competing under USAPL at the World Championships. She ended up being able to utilize a motion that allowed her to change federations entirely and compete for USVI. And we ended up seeing her on the platform and better yet, she actually won the title that year. So we spend a bit of time chatting about what that title meant for her. Um, and also chatting about the journey to that wins, which is why I wanted to add some context to that situation. But away from that, we also speak about where she draws her motivation from, uh, her recent change of coaches and the type of temperament that she clicks with. And we finish it off talking about her favorite books, which I really loved. I instantly felt comfortable chatting to Kim and she has a type of energy that makes you feel at home and I feel that'll come across in your speakers too. So I really hope you enjoy my conversation today with her and hopefully it'll give you some good insights into what makes Kim who she is and what has kept her at the top of her game for so long. I just wanted to pop here in the intro as well that it's a really difficult time uh, everywhere at the moment and if you're in Australia you know that Melbourne has gone back into lockdown and I just want to give a heartfelt thank you to those who are in service positions right now helping others navigate through their feelings too so I hope you know that your job is always valuable, but especially at the moment Um, and I hope this podcast has just provided a little bit of positivity through your week and hopefully I can continue to do that as well whilst we move through whatever happens over the next six months. That is enough for me for this intro this week, but if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear about what you've taken away from it. Uh, Feel free to send us a DM on Instagram or get in contact with us through email. I always love hearing what people take away because we always take away different things depending on our experiences and I always love having those conversations with you guys. So slide into my DMs, but otherwise I'll see you guys next time. Welcome Kimberly Warford to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. A bit of a household name when it comes to powerlifting. Because I think from memory, I had a look at your open powerlifting. Did you do your first comp? It was in 2002. Uh, that one's, it's a little off. It was 2001. 2000, 2001. Wow. So and it was in uh, Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> I know I say it like that, right? How did you get into that first comp? Uh, what happened is basically uh, I found powerlifting in the Air Force. Uh, one of my training buddies, um, they had like a bench meet on base and he said, hey, you want to try this? And I'm like, nah, I'm not into that. I just like to lift just for the sake of lifting fitness. And he convinced me and I did. It and I was like, what is this? I want to know everything about this. And I found out, oh, it's the sport of powerlifting. So literally from then I started researching everything I could about, okay, so how do I qualify for states and 
Yeah, that's just such a long time for someone to be involved <laughs> in a singular sport. It's amazing, really. Like, especially in powerlifting as well. I don't think you find that a uh, crazy amount of people who have been involved for a really long time. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's almost, what, 20 years now? Jeez. And in that time, you've won seven world championships. Yes, thank you, God. Five at 72? Uh, yeah, two and yeah, two and sixty-three, five and seventy-two. Yeah. So uh, we'll see if this is the last year for yeah. seventy-two, as we hear. So. Oh yes, because of the proposed. I actually had that down to talk to you about but the proposed weight class changes. Which are they going? Is it sixty-nine and seventy-six? Yes, that's what we hear. Okay, okay. If that were to happen, do you see yourself going up, or do you see yourself going down? I can see myself playing both because I'm already in 72. I mean, I walk around like a little under 72. So I'll already be in a 76 class or I could drop three kilos, you know, three or four kilos if need, need be and make 69s if, if necessary. Um, it wouldn't be the first time in my career. I was When I was a 63 kilo for the two or three years I competed 63, I would drop like two and a half to five kilos. I would start of course, like two months out, so <laughs> do it the healthy way. But yeah, so I, I was used to dropping back then. I didn't think I'd have to go back to possibly just losing a few kilos now, but we'll see. Either way, I'll, I could compete both. I do think it is a good thing that they're looking at expanding the women's weight classes because there is such a big gap between some of them, especially the, the 84 plus, for example. Like it is a giant gap for a lot of women and when those weight classes were probably put forward and they started powerlifting they probably had minimal data as well to base those weight classes off so I do think it's good that they're looking at those weight classes and potentially bringing forward changes. Like we've told people before we just got to adapt to what they're bringing I mean I think I would have also liked to see maybe something around the 90 kilo range but I think some of the uh, arguments were was that uh but maybe there's not enough lifters up there, you know, in that range. And, um, but me knowing myself, knowing a lot of lifters and also knowing a lot of lifters who's competing in that range. I mean, it would have been nice to also see something there, but I'm, I'm not the one choosing the weight classes. So we just got to <laughs> adapt to whatever the higher ups decide. So. Yeah. It's hard because although they may not see a lot of people in that weight, like around that weight range, it's probably because there isn't actually a weight class for it. So people are going either up or down, um, trying to adapt to what weight classes there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, like I said, when you look at like 84 and over, sometimes you you're, have women who are competing like against women who are 25, sometimes even 50 kilos heavier than them. And, you know, of course, even us being in, the larger classes, you know that every kilo matters for us. So imagine what it'd be like you competing, for instance, like a 52 competing against like a 63 or a 72. Yeah. If that was your, your usual class. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, maybe you'll see. Maybe it could be. Huh? Yeah, I think, are they voting in it in January? I think I remember reading. That's the rumor I've heard too. I have to keep saying that's the rumor because until we get official notification, we can't, we don't know. It'll but be, I mean, I, who knows as well with like COVID, if they'll end up pushing that back, who knows when competitions will, I know some competitions have been held in the States, haven't they? Yes. Uh, I know that uh, USAPL, USPA are still hosting 
like some of their local meets, like in USVI, we're going to be hosting a meet in October. So we're still hosting meets, but as far as like national, I mean, as far as like international, we're watching the calendar like everybody else, mm. just banking on, okay, is there going to be one more this year or are we waiting until 2021, you know? Are you planning so, to do the meet in October? For you oh, yes. Life? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I plan on, damn it, just made me actually tell you something. Yes, <laughs> I'm actually going to compete. I'm going to compete in October. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so, because the Sheffield I figured um, cancelled. Hmm? The Sheffield was cancelled. Yes, Sheffield was cancelled, and then the domino effect of everything else. Yeah. Uh, as you see, just what yesterday we were informed, of, or was it the day before that Classic has finally been cancelled too? Um, even our NAPF, our regional international meet, has been cancelled. Pretty much most of them have been cancelled. The regional meets as well. So. Pretty much the only thing left now is uh, a quick Worlds in November, a Masters Worlds if they're going to host it, and I think the the Arnold Europe in December if they're going to host it. So, fingers crossed that we see some. I mean, depending something on yeah. <laughs> in the world as well. So, yes. Oh yeah, we got to remember that whole COVID thing. Yeah. So we're all Such kind a of adapting from anyone's mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to go back to the world championships and you lift for USVI at the mm -hmm. moment. And that, ha that change happened in 2019 before the world championships. Yes. Yes. Was there a time period where you thought that you, there was the possibility that you weren't going to compete at all? Uh, yes. It was that period in between 2018 ish, uh, 2017, 2018, you know, uh, you know, I, chosen not to talk about what I dealt with, um, but basically during that period, I was uh, fighting back against uh, discrimination and targeting and harassment uh, to the point where it eventually um, resulted in me being able to lift for USBI. And I definitely want to say, uh, I want to thank all the men and women of the IPF once again, uh, who voted for uh, that motion to basically allow all uh, IPF lifters the opportunity to be able to lift for any federation that they can qualify for. You know, a lot of uh, IPF lifters aren't aware of that. And it's uh, basically the motion stated that as long as you had the passport for a country or you lived in residency for at least 12 months in that, in that country, and of course you met the requirements of that federation, that you would be able to lift. So basically similar like to uh, IOC sports. So that made it possible for me to be able to, to transfer over. Yeah. How did that feel in that in-between time? Thinking The in-between time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it sucked. Uh, just imagine like you put in at the time, what, 15, 16 years of work you've dedicated and then having to, to fight for your eligibility. I mean, because you know that you were in an unjust situation, um, but like I said, you know, some, you know, of course there was lots of people online who wanted to give their take about why I wasn't competing and stuff like that, but it was my story and my story to tell when I want to, to tell it. And, you know, the people who were in my, in the circle knew what was going on, but you know, like it happens in life, you speak when you're ready. So yeah, yeah it was a difficult time, but like anything else, any other things that I had to persevere through, it only makes me stronger. Yeah. And um, I definitely think when, you know, the transfer was able to come through and then being able to lift in that first meet back uh, when I was in Nauru, which was awesome. 
because uh, just to be back on the international floor, just even to the point of just hearing my name being called to come onto the platform, you know? And then uh, finally, like, finalizing everything by earning another championship back, you know, coming back in, in Sweden, you know, I couldn't have asked, you know, for a better situation. And now it's like, you look back on it and I can say that, you know, it, everything coming full circle uh, made having to go through all the bullshit, keeping it honest. Uh, I'm not going to say worth it, but it, it evened things out a little bit. We'll say that. I'm so glad that they found a way and they probably brought forward that motion to you that you could do that because it would have been such a loss for the IPF and powerlifting in general to lose someone like yourself who has been involved for such a long time who gives back a lot. It would have been, yeah, everyone, I think as well as the people online saying what they thought was happening, there were so many people online as well saying this is so shit for the possibility for you to not be up there on the platform in the 72 kilo weight class. I appreciated it so much. And that's why, you know, I put out that post just a little while ago when I said thank you to all the good men and women, you know, for uh, supporting this, because like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't just about me. You think about the fact, like I said, for most, most situations, most people are very happy in their federations. Very rarely do you have people who would have to transfer other than, you know, if they're moving to another country or something of those sorts. So giving people, giving uh, athletes now the opportunity to know that no federation has ownership of their eligibility, you know, in a sport, in a sport that you donate your own time to, you know, and for some of us, you know, the sport is life. It's, um, it's, it's very freeing to know that that has been made possible for all of us, you know, yeah. knowing that you'll never have to worry about that and knowing that your international federation and the people behind it have, have your, have your back. So did that motion always exist or did they create it? I think the motion, no, it didn't always exist. Um, similar. So the general assembly, you know, of course it happens every year. And I think that was, not think it was listed as a motion on I think for 2018 so and of course the general assembly had to vote on it so as we can see the general assembly voted on it so yeah. was very happy to see that go through it's definitely a good motion to have because it doesn't really no really it doesn't make sense like no federation should have especially in powerlifting where there isn't say these where politics go right up and people are earning like a lot of money and getting paid a lot of money as well. Powerlifting isn't quite quite there, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to for a federation to have ownership over a lifter. Oh, yes, I completely agree. And that's what I said. It's like similar to we are striving to be an Olympic sport, similar to Olympic sports. This is why you have Kenyans who can, you know, compete for, you know, Belarus or China. I know I'm just making that up, but I'm saying that Athletes have the opportunity to be able to compete for other countries if they choose to. You know, an athlete isn't, you know, reserved to the point where they have to only lift for, you know, the country they were born in. But for me, this is easy because USBI is a U.S. territory. So we have the same passport, you know, similar to other countries who have commonwealths and territories as well. They give their, you know, um, 
they give their citizens the option to to choose where they want to live. Yep. Yep. So that 2019 World Championship, I've seen online that you've said it's one of your favorite meets. Oh, yes. To date. Can yeah. you talk us through that a little bit? Uh, the reason why, let's see, it was my first one back. So, you know, I was so hungry. Matter of fact, the day I knew that I was coming back to the IPF, talk about like the fire and hunger in me becoming even stronger. Yes. And then after I, you know, did my first meet back in Nauru, I had a blast there. Um, and for most people who may not know, Nauru is the third smallest country in the world, located off the northeast coast of Australia, for those who don't know where it is. Um, three hours. Uh, so after doing that, and then that's when I started my prep for Worlds, and all I could think about, I thought about everything that I had gone through to get to that point. I thought about the people who supported, you know, me knowing that I was basically, I had been wrong that, that knowing that they supported me to ensure that, you know, things would be made right. And all it did was just motivate me to train like even harder. I guess if I could train harder, but training even harder. And then to get there and what I really enjoyed is like once I arrived in Sweden and started seeing, you know, lifters I was used to seeing, you know, friends that I've known for years, having people say to me, Kimberly, we missed you very happy to see you, you know, like not trying to get emotional about it, but hearing that, you know, and being back in the environment, it just, it just made me so happy, you know, because powerlifting has been like a huge part of my life for like almost 20 years. But of course, like everyone else getting into like game mode, like once I started, you know, competing, that's, that was my goal. I, I wanted to do all I could to, to earn the right to be able to call myself a champion again, because I feel the need to say that in my mind, uh, no matter what I've accomplished, after I've accomplished it, then I have to put it into, that's the box of something I've accomplished. I'm not gonna harp on the fact that, oh yes, I've won whatever or done whatever, because you start from scratch again after that championship. So that's how I was feeling being in Sweden is that I'm climbing up the same mountain as, mountain as everyone else, even if I've you know, been on top of it for you know, a few years, I still have to earn the right to be up there like anyone else. So then when that came down, you know, of course, making it through squat. I think I only hit one squat and I think I got three benches. It's weird that I say think, but everything kind of runs together as you get older. I mean, I know I'm only in my 40s, but it really does. So for the most part, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, so um, one squat, two benches. But I knew that in my mind, whenever I'm competing, I'm always thinking about, what do I need to hit to put me in a position to be able to do what I need to do? So, of course, I'm always striving like everyone else, you know, nine for nine. But nine for nine is a unicorn. No one's going to consistently hit nine for nine for every meet, giving 100%. You know, it's very rare that it actually happens. So, but I knew by the time, you know, I got to bench, you know, I've already did my calculations in my head. And back then, I was still actually still coaching myself, even though I have, you know, my buddies handle me. But I knew what I needed to do. So it was just about me doing it. So once I got in that first deadlift, it's like, you know, in my mind, I'm always like, game on, let's go. Once I get to deadlift, it's, it's like I, it's a whole new type of energy for me. You know, I just, it just feels electric. It's like, I'm ready. I'm just ready to go. So then, you know, of course, I hit the first one. Then, we, you know, it's, uh, it's me and Jess and Anna. And everyone's pretty much jockeying at that point, Isabella. So everyone is jockeying at that point to try and get a position. I 
knew with the second Della Fouquet, I think that put me around two and a half, either under or over. And so I knew, it, for me, it usually always comes down to the last deadlift. I can't think of any, I think maybe only one championship where by the time I hit my first deadlift, I was ahead, like ahead ahead, and knowing that it was going to be a, a point where no one was going to be able to catch me. So, but the majority of them, I've come from behind. And, and that's something I feel the need to say this, even though we're still talking about this championship, is that it even shows you further the importance of every single lift that you hit. And, you know, it's people understanding it, that it's the number of, you hitting the number of quality lifts. Who, because who gives a crap if you hit nine for nine and someone can beat you with three for nine or six for nine? Everyone's striving for that nine for nine. But remember, you want the quality lifts that are going to be enough to hit to, to get to the goal that you want. So I knew, of course, like most situations, it was going to come down to the last deadlift. Of, and I was just sitting there waiting, just waiting for my chance. And even to the point that, and this is something normally I don't do. Normally, when I'm at a meet, I'm usually waiting in, in the back behind the curtain, you know, when they give us, you know, you know, two up, three up, whatever. But for this one, I wanted to be out and looking. So, you know, watching the attempts and especially, so once I saw like, you know, Jessica hit her last and I was like, it's my turn, you know, I, I want this. And I know, I already knew what I needed to do. I didn't need anybody to tell me, let's just do it. So I got out there and I pulled it. I think, um, I think I said something because I played her back a few times. I could say it now. For some reason, it looks like I think I said, fuck yeah. I swear it does look like, I said, did I say fuck yeah? I was like, ooh, happy if I did say it that they didn't catch it because you know they could have caught, caught me on that. But, um, but yeah, and then knowing that once I knew it was a, a good lift, because you know we can't, sometimes we can't get ready to like celebrate until we know. Because sometimes we're like, wait, okay, is it? And then once I knew it was like, hell yeah. You know, I... I everything came full circle for me. Everything that I went through to get back to this point, you know, um, I'm not going to say it was worth it. <laughs> I'm just going to say everything evened out. And I really dedicated this one to like, of course, God and everyone who supported me, you know, getting back and helping me right that wrong that happened to me, you know? So yeah, that was pretty much it. When you watch your lifts, especially from that competition as well. I watched the uh, rake, like the Sheffield one this morning and they had your last deadlift on there from that competition. And you can, it's like you can feel it. The, you, you saying, you know, the electricity, it's like that actually comes through on camera, through computer as well. You're definitely an incredible person to watch when it comes to those last deadlifts and seeing your celebrations as well. It just gives me like goosebumps a little bit, especially knowing as well that the, your story about getting back to that world championship and what it actually meant for you. I can imagine how much it meant to you. And then also, you, you know, your circle of trust that you shared that with as well for them to be watching you get back up onto the platform and win. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, that's why, like I said, like, uh, the first one, obviously, because it was the first, but this one, because of everything, you know, I've gone through. They all are special, but those two are special for the those specific reasons, the first and the last, so. I know you just said before that you attributed that competition to God. Have you always been yes. growing up? 
yeah, spiritual in the sense of, yes, I've always had a connection with God, me and him or Shem, I say, because we don't know if he's he or she. <laughs> um, we just always had a special relationship where I know that I can always talk to Shem. So I do, you know, I don't necessarily um, feel like you have to, to go into a church to have a, a relationship with God. And that's just my own personal opinion. But I speak to God very often. Definitely, I think at least sometimes, at least once a day, at the minimum, sometimes more. You know, um, I just believe that there is a higher being and there is someone who's looking out for us and guiding us. And even through some of the lessons, it's funny, I'll even say sometimes, you know, thank you, God, for all the lessons and the blessings. I said, I may not necessarily like all the lessons, <laughs> but I understand that you want me to go through them. So, okay, but thank you. <laughs> this is what I'll say. How has that played into lifting for you? Well, for one thing, I think it's a, the strength that I've been given, even though I know it's for a finite amount of time, I believe it's God-given strength. So, you know, I feel like I pay homage to God, you know, by giving my, giving my all and pushing myself to be my best, showing, you know, Shem how much I appreciate it, you know, by doing that. You know, and I believe that, you know, God is always around, always around me and, guiding me as I move through, you know, whatever phases I am in my life, even to include competing or training. I know you've quoted before that you get more out of this sport than what you put into it. Oh, hell yes. It's, I know sometimes you'll hear people say that, um, sometimes they'll say like powerlifting, oh, it's just a hobby. Um, I don't get paid to do this. And my personal opinion is that people who are truly committed to being an athlete, whether it's powerlifting or any other sport, will never see their sport as a hobby. It literally is like a lifestyle and it's my other life. I, I say it's my second job because you give so much to it. And what when you're giving your all physically and emotionally, you have to also realize that just from you being in the environment of competing and you know training, you're being given back the opportunity to grow as a person, you know, emotionally, physically, that you're being exposed to new people who can positively expose your life. Um, you're inspiring other people to be their best just by them being around you or seeing you go through your own, you know, struggles and journeys in the sport as well. So, and also the fact that you can give back to the sport and become like a coach and a referee. Because I, I tell a lot of athletes, especially my own too, that you know, you become the best version of yourself regarding the sport of powerlifting if you can contribute in all three because you'll be the most knowledgeable of pretty much every aspect of what it is to be involved in powerlifting. Yeah. Other than also including the administrative aspect, you know, working for your federation in some official capacity as well. Yeah, I can imagine as well then that period in 2018 when everything was going on. For you to know how much effort you put in back into the sport on all of those levels that you just mentioned refereeing coaching i can imagine how difficult that could have been then to have to deal with some of that discrimination oh yes yeah, so it was very difficult but one thing i've always prided myself on sometimes i feel like it, it's innate in me as a person is i'm willing to do all i can you. to fight for myself and others i will do everything i can <laughs> to make that happen and I and I would only give up if I knew all options had been exhausted and what I mean by give up well at that point once I know all options are exhausted and there's literally nothing I can do 
then there's nothing else I can do. But at least I know that I can look myself in the mirror and know that I did all I could to fight for myself or to fight for someone else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are some other things that you feel like in relation to that quote that you've gotten back out of lifting and how have you changed from that first meet in 2001? Like I know you've just said as well before that you don't coach yourself anymore as well. So I'd love to touch on that as well and kind of what you've learned through coaching yourself. Okay, so first part, like thinking about younger me versus older me. Um, well, I can tell you what stayed the same is the hunger. I've never, I've never gotten complacent. I've never rested on my laurels and said, because I've done this, this, and this, okay, now everything is great. And now I can expect everything to come my way. Every time I've competed, I've always operated the same way of saying, nothing is guaranteed. You know, um, this is a gift that I've been given and I am going to try and use it and get everything out of it for as long as I have it, because I know like, and that's why I say, I only have this for a finite amount of time because the reality is, is that we all get older and things change. And that day that I don't want to talk about <laughs> will eventually happen for everyone. <laughs> so but I'm just trying to keep it away as long as I can. Um, I can say definitely something positive that has changed is that I've taken mobility more seriously. But um, when I started, I was in my 20s. And of course, you know, we think we're all invincible and you don't really take some of us like myself at the time, didn't really take um, mobility as serious as I should have, but it took me, I guess, getting my first uh, real injury, I like to call them irritations in my 30s, that made me take it seriously and realize, wow, you know, if I could go back in time, um, I would have told my younger self, and this is something that I've also, like, expressed in, like, you know, seminars that I've done, and, and, you know, just talking with my own athletes, or just having a conversation with a fellow powerlifter, like, telling especially younger lifters like if you listen to anything else please take mobility seriously like thinking about your 40 year old 50 year old self it's we we are telling you you need to take this seriously the importance of you not only being able to lift heavy weights but understanding its connection to mobility how mobility can affect every aspect of how you train and compete and lift and with that someone actually asked i put up a story on instagram about people having questions to ask you. Someone asked if you have had an injury or an irritation, as you like to say or call it. Yes. What was that and how long did that last? It was a, I strained right side uh, QLs, uh, quadratus labrum, I think it's yeah. called. I just know that's nicknamed QL. QL yeah. uh, basically what had happened is uh, it was during a period where we weren't Basically, we weren't getting enough recovery in between uh, worlds and nationals uh, uh, back when I lifted for USAPL. So we didn't, we just didn't have enough time in between. So I think it was one of those years where we had just coming back from worlds and nationals was just like a few weeks later. And uh, so basically, you know, you're just trying to hold on because, you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to start a new cycle and recover. So you're literally just extending the cycle you're on, trying to. So I was competing um, and, you know, uh, thankfully uh, I had earned, uh, I think by my first deadlift, I had locked in the championship, the national championship. Um, so I was pretty much just riding and out for the rest of the meet. Um, I hit my second lift and I, my second deadlift, I'm feeling real good. And I remember, I swear it's like an omen. Um, I like, I call him my big brother, my coach, Coach meaning uh, Gene Bell, because he was my first coach, but I still call him coach. It's just out of respect. So I, coach was with me 
and my big brother, Steve Goggins. And I remember Steve saying to me, even coach, coach said it too. He's like, you sure you don't want to shut it down? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I was like, I feel good. I said, that, that second deadlift felt great. He's like, and they're both with you sure i'm like no nah, no nah, i got it i got it put it in put it in so i i decided to try and attempt to to re-break the the deadlift record the world record that i had just broken at worlds three weeks i think it was three or four weeks later at nationals um so yeah so i came out set up locked in and as i'm feeling myself initiate the pull i felt a sharp pain shoot up my right side and then of course i tried to play it off because i I don't want nobody to see me, you know, hurt. So I just acted like as as if I just was just too heavy and I stood up and I could still, and then I just walked off, walked off. And I remember like telling, you know, coach and Steve that, yeah, think, 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 think something up. And then I found out, yeah, that I strained my QLs. Um, now let's see, it took me about, I was still competing after I was rehabbing and it took about a year and a half, but I was thankful enough that, I was still in a position where I could still compete, but I wasn't a hundred percent. And I think if, if you actually go back and look at that year, I think it was, I don't even remember what year it was, but it was a year where literally I, there was no PRs like, and it was me just recovering. And I, I, mean, I was thankful that I was still in a position where I could compete, but it took about a year and a half to recover from that. And it was going to PT and realizing the importance of PT being there and learning of being humbled by understanding what I thought was, you know, <laughs> mobility and realizing that I had a lot to learn. And uh, even to the point that after I was healed, I still continue to see PT to this day. And I called it like um, my weekly body oil change. I go in, they ask, is anything bothering me? I say yes or no, anything irritating? If it is, they work on it. If not, we work on something else to improve my, my mobility. And that, that was pretty much <laughs> with that one. But, it's crazy because so when pay you attention that you had, people. sorry? No, so I was saying, so pay attention to mobility people. Know when to shut it down. <laughs> well, I, I think you're a great person to listen to as well on that side of things because, you know, nearly 20 years in the game. So, and you're still competing. You're still at the top of your game. So it's interesting to hear you say that when you do win a championship and you, when you look at your history in powerlifting as well, you've, you've won seven world championships. And I remember meeting you in 2016 and you were so kind and you were so, and you were so humble. And that definitely showed through in your character as well, because you'd think that someone who has that history of championships and all of these achievements, that they, they kind of almost like earned to be a little bit the opposite of humble in a way, but you were so not like that. And I remember saying um, that was like my, one of my favorite things about you is I didn't feel intimidated to talk to you. I remember like giving you a hug for a photo. I was like, oh my God, can I get some deadlift juju? <laughs> you know what reality is, is that, and that's why you saw me like shaking my head, no matter what someone accomplishes, no one should ever act like they're better than somebody else or act like, if someone is nice, then you're nice. It's so easy to be nice. And I, I've told even like other athletes, like if you ever come across someone that you see is like you hold in high regard in the sport and they're a tool, then they don't deserve, they don't deserve your high praise because we're people. So why should you act any different yeah, <laughs> just because you're meeting someone in person? 
I remember meeting some people, yeah, like at world championships and I was like hoping to have a conversation with them because I was so fresh into lifting as well. I started at the end of 2015 and I was so excited to meet some people, but I was so intimidated by them after trying to go up to them and have a conversation. And it is a shame like when people, uh, I guess, like forget a little bit um, where they started from. I don't want to say, oh, you're giving them a pass by saying forget. If you if you're if you're if you're a down to earth like humble person, then you would never allow yourself to be like thinking about just because I've done something or because uh, that I should be holding myself in a higher regard over any other person I stand next to. You know, you're only you should only reserve that side of you because we have to be honest. You know, not uh, not everyone's going to get to see the best sides of you. You know, you reserve certain aspects of who you are for the people who are in certain aspects of the circles in your life. So if someone is rude or nasty, then why you would never let them into that part of who you are. But if you don't know a person, how can you act that way towards them without even getting to interact with them first? You know, you save that negative side for people who deserve it, not for people who hold you in high regard. It's an honor because you're choosing to think of me or someone else that way. That's how I see it. So you've recently just changed to a new coach or a coach that you, someone who has been around you as well for the past couple of years, I heard you say. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to make that decision and what have been some of the biggest changes for you so far? I don't know. It was just, uh, sometimes I feel like things just hit you like an epiphany. I remember I was just having a conversation, uh, you know, one day with uh, uh, Benjamin Banks. He's owner of SPD. You know, he's a really good friend of mine's and, we talk a lot and I just remember just having a convo with him saying, you know what, think about maybe letting Greta coach me. <laughs> and he, he's like, oh, that's what he said. I was like, you know, um, I said, why not? You know, uh, I had my first coach, Gene Bell, you know, I was thankful to have him, you know, literally one of the multi-time world champions, one of the best, you know, in history in, in the IPF. And then I coached myself for eight years. And then I was thinking, why not? I don't know everything. I can, I can always learn. And I'm a person who likes to learn. And I, you know, have a lot of trust and respect in Greta. You know, he handled me for the last few meets since I've came back, you know, and I said, you know, he kind of also reminded me of, you know, coach Gene, Gene Bell, same temperament, you know, and I said, you know, I think, I think he would be good for me too. And that's what I just said, finally. Yeah, I said, Greta, I'd, I'd like you to coach me. And that was, that was just literally the gist of the conversation. It's just you, sometimes you just got to go, you got to go with your intuition. You know, it guides you in every aspect of your life and it just felt right. And, and that's when I decided just to make the decision. So, Yeah. What kind of temperament do they have? They have that, uh, you know, like walk softly with a big stick type of, person like they don't have to people who don't have to yell their presence is just strong and you know what they mean (laughs) just by you being around them um both uh just very knowledgeable people and they you could tell also he he respects he respects my knowledge of the sport and my time in it and not just being an athlete but being a coach as well and being able to have those conversations with each other like just being able to adapt and my first coach, you know, Gene Bell was the same way, you know, you just know when you guys mesh well together and me being the type of personality that I am, you know, I have no problem taking a, a backseat and, you know, being a follower and being able to take in information and listen, 
but I also have to believe that you are in a position where you have the knowledge and experience to be able to guide me. Yeah. And if, and me being the person I am, because I like to verify information, if you don't have that background, then you can't coach me because if I have more experience than you, how am I going to learn from you? Mm-hmm. So I've made it a point, and this is something I've not only told like my own athletes and other lifters that I know, you know, make sure that when you're looking for a coach, don't look at someone based on their Instagram following or the fact that you see them affiliated with certain high level athletes really take the time alone. Okay. Well, what has this person done? And I don't mean have they won championships. I mean that, okay, if they're an athlete, what level of experience do they have with competing and how long, um, if they've coached lifters, what level have they coached? Have they coached from the local level to, to the, you know, world level, because that makes a difference, especially when you're coaching like high level lifters, you know, you want someone with that type of experience. Also, once again, yes, the temperament mm-hmm. is there are, is their personality in yours? Is it going to match? Because sometimes if personalities don't match, then, you know, that relationship isn't going to last long. And that happens as well. So. Yeah, I agree. And I think even taking temperament and applying it to a com- competition standpoint as well, the last thing you want on competition day is a temperament that you don't mesh with when you're going out for those lifts. You need to make sure that the the person that you have coaching you is on board with your personality. You're on board with their personality because I've had situations where I've had someone coach me and I don't need that. I don't need their energy at that point. I have my own. I'm the same way. Yeah. And so same way. I don't need your energy. Give me a back slap and I don't actually need oh, that. Yes. I would actually like them to not touch me. <laughs> yeah. It's the, I, I'm the same way. Like literally like the conversation, the tone that we're having now, the level, that's exactly how we would be having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's coach or whether it's Greta, that would be the conversation. This level of tone, you know, it's just a few simple words here and there memory joggers and that's pretty much it yeah <laughs> so yeah especially on an uh, what is the word I'm looking for here oh an arousal level I think you're definitely someone who I don't see you don't need the whole backslap kind of thing happening because mm-hmm. you're you can already you already know how to bring your arousal levels up they're already there so having someone else might actually like push you over the edge when you're in that situation I have to be honest and tell you, if someone tried to like backslap me or like yell at me to get me pumped, I'd tell them like, okay, I need you to just go there. I don't need that. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> Definitely. Have there been many changes to your training since having him coach you? Um, changes in a sense, yeah. He has a, just a different way of, of training. That's just pretty much it. Um, I've always been like someone who's been like high volume and choosing like my own exercises and understanding the reason why I have myself or my athletes training certain types of uh, lifts, but no, it's, it's just, it's his way of training. Like I said, everyone has their own style. And what I can definitely tell you is that how, you know, especially once you have more experience as an athlete is that when you're working with a coach, you, you learn to understand the contest behind why you're doing a specific exercise, like why you're, why you have this, this much volume, why you need to have this rest. And it's interesting to see that some of those aspects, you know, I'm seeing Greta exhibiting the same thing, but he's just showing me in a new way, you know? So I'm, I'm very happy to be working with him. Uh, definitely there've been some, some, some sore days. <laughs> um, I can definitely tell you that's one thing I'm learning about 
being an older, being a master's one now, is uh, I definitely don't bounce back as quickly, meaning that sometimes I can feel sore after training, you know, wow. but then my body gets used to it. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, you're getting older, you know, it happens, but yeah, it's just, it's just easier to describe him, just to describe training with him now as saying that he's just showing me a new way of training hmm. and it's working for me. So no complaints. I remember in another podcast episode, you had mentioned that your first coach, Gene mm-hmm. Bell, he actually brought you back into lifting after yeah, that two-year break. Yeah. How come you took that two-year break in the first place? Uh, well, I was, uh, I was completing, a, I think it was my first master's degree at the time. But um, so I, I took a, a break away from competing. But also, actually, what also happened during that period is I have to admit that I became, you know, fed up with some of the negative aspects of powerlifting that I wasn't really liking at the time. And I, I remember having a conversation with, uh, you know, Gene at the time, coach, um, and saying that, you know what, I'm satisfied with everything I've accomplished at this point. I think I'm just going to, you know, focus on finishing this degree, continue training. I said, I'll continue training and, I don't know, let's see if maybe I'll still stay in powerlifting or I'll uh, switch to something else. And I remember during that period, you know, he, he just kept checking in on me. <laughs> he just kept checking in. He's like, and every once in a while, he let me know about, hey, did you see that national, you know, saw that world, see those results? It's like, you know, you could have done, you know, and he just kept, and then finally, just one day he, he was checking in again and it like, it hit me. I was like, you know what, coach? I said, I think I'm ready to come back. And that was literally what happened. So, you know, I credit him to doing that because like I said, at the time I was completely happy with what I had accomplished up to that point. And I was just going to, you know, move forward with my life, pick another sport or whatever, or yeah, most likely pick another sport. There's no way I wouldn't have been doing something, yeah. but yeah, he, um, he just, and that's what I'm saying. Having people in your corner throughout your, um, throughout your career, you know, having those people you can trust that circle of trust. Uh, I think him, very much for being able you know to pull me back and look what happened after (laughs) so thanks coach for doing that for me yeah and then you went on to lift raw but yes what were some of the the negative things that you mentioned just then that in powerlifting that made you think about taking that break and taking that break just seeing uh, the politics of things, uh, the unfairness, you know, on and off the platform related to powerlifting, you know, um, like I said, discrimination, harassment, targeting, just watching it, you know, it's, you know, it's the side of our sport we don't really like to talk about, but just seeing, you know, enough and I had, you know, something that happened to me, I'm not really ready to talk about it now, but it was just like, you know what, I'm done. (laughs) I don't need to do this to deal with this, you know, and that was pretty much, it why I made the decision you know I said I I have to focus completely on finishing this degree and that was enough for me to say that no I didn't want to do it anymore at the time I just wanted to train yeah and then came back into raw lifting so yes I think a lot of people don't realize as well that powerlifting was equipped all equipped oh yeah when I came in yeah everything was pretty much single ply and I multiply and double ply at the time it was pretty much and then I think it was probably around like 2009 2010 where you know raw lifting started really picking up you know and when I came back I was like oh this is no single ply I could just lift with a belt I was like all right let me try this out let me see what this is and 
you know, similar, like to my first meet, I was like, yeah, okay, I think I'll stick with this for a while. I said, well, maybe I'll still, you know, do single ply sometimes, but you know, I think I'm gonna try this raw thing. Um, and then watching it just take off the way it did for like from the, the cup, AKA the first championship yeah. in Sweden <laughs> to where it is now, where we have upwards of 800, 900, 1,000 lifters competing, you know, classic. Um, but I will say this, that I think even the, the new lifters coming in, like if they can find someone with, who is experienced as an equipped lifter, they should take the time to at least try it. Um, because even when I was competing, com competing mostly equipped, you know, uh, a good amount of my training cycle was raw before I would even put on equipment, you know? So it's something to consider also in the sense of you would be able to lift um, way more in most cases, but seeing how, you know, raw has kind of changed that because we're able to catch up in some areas, not all, but in some, but definitely also giving your body a rest with you being able to, to wear that equipment as well, you know, and really push yourself to a, a even a higher level of, uh, lifting because you know for the most part there's just some things you wouldn't be able to do raw well most of us <laughs> so but yeah i definitely think and i would definitely tell people again yeah if you can if you can get around experienced people take give it a try you know i'm guaranteed they've always got some equipment hanging around that you could just throw on and worst case scenario you can find a good seamstress to take that stock piece of you know a, you know a deadlift or squat suit and have them you know make the alterations so that it adjusts you but it's worth it to at least try because sometimes you'll hear you know clap you know raw lifters talk about uh they'll crack jokes about equipped lifting and the first thing i'll ask them is that have you competed because hmm. you're only as good as your source of information right so how can you talk about something you've never experienced yeah so yeah, that's pretty much my take i've tried oh uh, yes <laughs> I'm yet to try to watch it, but I would love to. But even just the knee wraps and unwrapping that at the end, I was like, shit, I'm bruised already. But it's so true. And I don't think people realize as well that with equipment and with like equipped with the wraps, the, the squat suit, all of it is everything has to be done to such a fine detail because there's no room for error when you have X amount of weight on your back and you're in a suit and you have to learn how to use the suit. And so you often find, I, I use like Natalie Hansen as a good example is because even in her raw lifting, everything is exactly the same every single time, every single time. And it's just so beautiful. Like the amount of detail that has to go into a walkout, for example. To walk out and God forbid, if someone's like wrapping your knees and they lose the wrap and realize you've got one wrap knee and the other one. <laughs> And they didn't wrap up an extra just in case so they can wrap your knees. Yeah, if you also think about it too, is that um, equipped lifting also helps you work on mental toughness as well. Because the point of you actually having to sit there and you know what it's like a, a level six, level seven, level eight wrap, having someone wrap your knees and then having to wait for them to wrap your other knee. And then now you got to stand up. And whether you're just doing like a squat with knee wraps or actually also having your you know your suit on then getting under the bar and then having to actually you know squat or deadlift like at least with deadlift or bench it's just one like it's either a swoop or you're jumping into something but squat you know you got to add the knee wraps and it's just a whole new level of uh, uh pain i'll just say that it is <laughs> not only even like knee wraps done very tightly for a first second and third attempt oh yes <laughs>
Because <laughs> you know you gotta, it gotta be tied on the next one, right? So. Yeah. Just before we start wrapping up, you actually put up a post a couple of days ago and you were talking about having some positive mantras. Oh, yes. Is that something you've always implemented in training and competition or is it something recently that you've started putting in place? Just in life. Um, because I receive like inspiration from everything around me. And sometimes I'll just be reading something and I'm like, wow, that sounds like a really awesome quote. Like, you know, you hear certain words and they make you think of, you know, certain actions or thoughts, you know, they just put you in a certain type of mindset. And I really hold on to that stuff. Like I'm really huge on visualization just in every aspect of my life. And I feel like it, it really can push you forward with regards to going after your goals. And I think for each of us, sometimes it's just certain things that you need to hear that just put you into that zone to allow you to be able to give 100%, you know, emotionally and physically when you're, you know, com training or competing. Yeah. So, yeah, my mantra is really a lot. For you. Well, like, for me, I love, like, if I can take it, I can make it. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it's to, if I can continue to push through, especially on those days, like, when you're training. Because not every training day is, is awesome. Let's be real. Um, some days they suck. And sometimes you just got to, you know, watch a special video or hear myself say, if I can take it, I can make it. And it's reminding me if I can push through this then it, it will be worth it in the end because I'll be, you know, even more prepared by the time I hit the platform. Um, also thinking to myself that for every day, I'll even tell myself for every day I don't train hard, it makes it that much closer for my competition to get close to me. So that motivates me, the, the thought, the, the vision of knowing that if I'm slacking, that I can see my competitors getting closer to me, then I'm like, no, 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 I, I got to work hard, you know? It's, it's all about you finding, like I said, those words and them stimulating specific thoughts that help you visualize certain things that get you into that zone. And, and that's what works for me. And I even like, I even have like, I take screenshots now because we're in 2020, right? I take screenshots of stuff and I have like folders where I'll go through just, you know, you know, reviewing my motivation folders. I've got stuff around the house. Oh, even in the gym, I, I have, um, if you can see there, like behind you. Like, oh, yeah. I even have, like, it says, um, don't put in half of the effort unless you're okay with half the results. Like, I surround myself with things that just push me to be better and also helps you keep things in perspective as well. You made a great point just before about having some very average training sessions because that is something I think people forget when they first get into powerlifting is you only truly have a solid, solid, solid handful of good, good training sessions for a lot of the time. And then a lot of the other time is they're, they're average or they're not bad. They're just kind of in the middle there somewhere. I reckon I've had maybe like five really good, good squat training sessions. So sometimes when my clients are like, oh, squats are just so shit today or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's just the way it is sometimes. And you just got to keep going. Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, um, I'm a big, like, advocate for, like, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. He does a lot of, like, uh, motivational videos. And some of them, they use his voice in a lot, a lot of sports-related ones. And, you know, I just remember hearing him say things like that, you know, that you've just got to keep moving forward. You just got to keep, no matter what's happening around you, you know, even if you're having, like, a crappy day, you know, work, life, whatever, you've just got to keep looking forward. And that's, and that's what's got to keep pushing you that way because 
he says, like, if you, you think about moving forward and you're not thinking about what's behind you. So that's what I think about also like in training, you got to keep thinking about why am I, why am I training? What am I getting ready for? Um, okay, I'm focused on this because I'm getting ready for a meet. I'm doing this meet because I love competing and I know that it's giving me an opportunity to be able to push myself. So, you know, you got to keep things in perspective that keep you motivated to keep moving forward. And apart from mobility and to making sure that you have those sources of motivation around you, what are some other things that you would recommend to newer lifters? Nutrition matters. (laughs) Do not eat chocolate and chips and candy during training or at meets. If you can afford to get yourself a nutritionist who works with athletes, do it. You know, they will teach you a whole new, like, avenue of knowledge about understanding your body and preparing yourself for sports. Like, and I, something I say a lot is about you want to be as efficient and effective as possible. Nutrition is a huge part of that. You know, learning about the importance of eating certain cuts of meat. Or if you're not into meat and you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then learning how to maximize your nutrition so you can get enough energy to be able to do what you need to do. It matters. Every aspect of training matters. And that's why it's so funny when you hear people say that all we do is like pick things up and put it down. Like if they under even understood like how like technical how technical every aspect of competing is to include nutrition, they would never say that. You know, yeah, there's so, so many pillars. Yes. There's so many pillars of that nutrition, good sleep, training. It's yes. all those things combined. Managing stress, yes, stress affects things. Some of us are able to take like negative stress and put it into training and have like the most awesome day ever. And others, you know, it affects them. You know, you just gotta be able to find that balance and know what works for you to help you get the most out of those days. Yeah. Yeah. Which camp do you fall in when it comes to managing life stress? Does it motivate you in the gym or does it kind of detract a little bit? Um, it motivates me in life. Like I'm the type of person that if someone does something negative to me, all I do is take it and put it into my memory box and use it as like, like mental pre-workout. <laughs> I've used it in meets. <laughs> I've used it in training. And I feel like that's also another way that you can get back at the haters is that no matter what they throw at you, be able to find some positive way to be able to use that negative energy in a positive manner to be able to push you forward. And I know sometimes it's not always easy to do, but I have, I I definitely can think I'm going to toot my own horn on this. I've learned how to master that. And it's the greatest way to get back at them is to be able to succeed. So don't let it push you, you know, keep you down, find a way to turn it into something positive. Yeah, that's really, like, I think that's a great way to put something like that, especially something external like uh, someone else or is, I guess, taking ownership over what it can turn into for your own life. Because you know what they say is that, I mean, we're human. We, we get angry, we get upset about things. But, you know, if you let yourself harp on it, you know, you're giving that, per- that person or that experience power over you. And you don't want that, you know, life is just too short for you to be able to do that. And I'm not going to say it still doesn't happen. You know, I'm human, we're human, but you know, hopefully as you get older, you know, and you have more experience about life, you just, you work harder to be better about not letting that negative energy, don't let it weigh you down, be able to turn it into something that's positive that you can use for for your good. Yeah. And that goes not just in training. I think that goes for every other aspect, happiness, all of it. So I think that's a really good advice in terms of 
looking at those situations and being able to turn it into something and getting better at that too because as you said we are all human and there are situations that absolutely weigh us down and I imagine the the whole saga and the drama that would have been and you are a perfect example of that is turning it into something else that positively impacts your life although it may not feel like the best lesson to have sometimes but seeing a blessing in that entire situation as well yeah definitely yeah yeah and one last question before we go someone asked this question and I think it's really good is do you have any favorite books uh man you made me give up more personal information Jeez. my fir- favorite book is the art of war by Sun Tzu I love that book um even though it was written hundreds of years ago it's still I feel like it's applicable in every aspect of life not to sport every aspect of life. So if you haven't read that book, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, it's definitely a good read. It has some, I think when people look at that book, then they will realize that they've probably seen many, many quotes floating around from that book because there are, yes, (laughs) have quotes. There are a lot of those quotes you can find online on uh, like motivational and even just life, how people look at life and conflict and all of it. Yes, to teaching you even how to manage conflict um, and just giving you different perspective on, on various aspects of life. And you would, I guess you wouldn't have thought that if you obviously never read the book. I mean, especially going by the title, The Art of War, but it, it really, for me, I felt like it was a little, it was a life-changing book. And how I ended up reading that book initially was um, when I became a military officer, they give you a list of books that they would like you to read to teach you about leadership and that was actually one of the books uh the art of war and also another one of my favorites is lincoln on leadership that was another one that i that i enjoyed and i remember like one of the things i remember from that book is that it said that you know if you're ever upset or angry in a situation or angry at someone um write them a letter so at this point it would be um email maybe in a draft folder and they would say (laughs) if after 24 hours you are still upset then you are free to send that letter or email it at that point. So giving you perspective to really think about situations, you know, I tend to like to look at things that I have. I always have like a thirst for knowledge. And I I love to read books that teach me about a different way of understanding, you know, myself and humanity, you know? So, but yeah, those are two of my favorite books. And like, don't put it in an Instagram message because the chances of that accidentally pressing send, probably (laughs) leave it in the email draft. Don't do yes, that in Instagram. Don't go Generation Z on us. Yeah, we've all sent those accidentals. And sometimes you can't pull them back as quick as you want to. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me and for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Like I said, you are such a household name when it comes to powerlifting. And I'm just so happy that they made that motion and applied it to you to get you back onto that platform because that's in that situation. That's all literally everyone who follows you and looks up to you wanted to see. So it's just been amazing following your journey through that. You might have to just add a little something about that, you know, just to let people know, you know, I really think it's good for us also as athletes to really take the time to read, you know, your organization's constitution and bylaws and technical rules. Like these are things for you to understand because it's funny, like even when I originally came back, sometimes people were like, you know, how, how did you do it? I said, it, it wasn't a secret. It was the general assembly, which happens every year, <laughs> proposed a motion 
and I was able to utilize that motion for me <laughs> to come back. And it's not, it's not like it's the, the Kimberly motion, it's the motion for all IPF lifters. <laughs> you just have to read it. And actually, I know it by heart. It's that in the Constitution, it's 105.9.3. That is the rule. I know, right? <laughs> so if you ever want to know, yes, that's that's. Do we ever that's... see 105.9.3 in Kimberly's gym? You know. <laughs> I know, I like that, right? Hashtag, yeah. <laughs> And that concludes our episode today, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Kimberly Warford. If you want to find her on Instagram, head to our show notes or find her at TrackFu. If you want to follow us, hit up Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram and you can find me, your host, at Beyonce. I hope you all have a lovely week and I'll see you guys next time.